Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. I finally took some extra time and sat down to do some reading about podcast audio quality, so hopefully this is the best the podcast has ever sounded. Today's topic is actually a bit surprising for me. In a podcast all about countries that never existed really or barely existed, it took us six full weeks to finally get to World War II. Countries were popping up and falling down like nobody's business in World War II, so it really is surprising that it's taken this long for us to get to one. That does make me a bit nervous, though, because if there's one topic in history that armchair historians, like myself, have overstudied, it's definitely World War II. So, as always, I've done my absolute best to make sure that the information is as accurate as possible, but please do not flay me alive in the comments section if I mispronounce the name of some obscure Axis general or something like that. So, the topic of today's episode is the independent state of Macedonia. This country didn't pop up until autumn of 1944, which was pretty late in the war, but we're going to start our narrative even earlier in 1924. It was in this year that Ivan Mihailov became president of the Internal Macedonian Revolutionary Organization. The IMRO, as I'm going to call it from here on out, was a secret revolutionary society formed within the borders of the old Ottoman Empire that sought to gain independence for the Macedonian region, which had long chafed under Ottoman rule. The IMRO's president before Mihailov had been killed under shady circumstances, and there were many that blamed Mihailov for his death, but there was never enough evidence to really make people stick with that claim. But as I'm sure you can imagine, political succession in shady, spooky, underground, armed terrorist revolutionary societies is never as easy as one might want it to be. You see, Mihailov represented the younger end of the IMRO's men, and they often came into conflict with the older people in the organization. The older faction favored your classic hit-and-run tactics by bands of armed men, but Mihailov's generation preferred newfangled terrorist tactics like assassinating political figures in public. And in the first few years of Mihailov's presidency, this tactic was employed a lot in cities all across Central and Eastern Europe. This seems to have really ticked off the older faction, because it wasn't long before political strife within the IMRO turned into low-level violence. By 1928, the conflict had spiraled out of control to a point where Mihailov ordered the assassination of Alexander Protogerov, who was his opposition leader, and a general in the Bulgarian army. The assassination was successful, but that doesn't mean that the war just ended. Protogerov's successors and allies allied with the Kingdom of Yugoslavia and some specific parts of the Bulgarian military in order to fight off Mihailov's faction, which had become allied with the Bulgarian government, the Italian government, and the Croatian Ustashi, which was a fascist and nationalist organization within Croatia. Violence quickly ripped through the organization's homeland, then known as Vardar Macedonia, which was a geographical region within the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, but it's pretty much synonymous with the modern borders of North Macedonia. However, since the older faction was actually allied with the Yugoslav government who held Vardar Macedonia, they managed to dig in pretty hard in the region. 
This forced Mihailov and his group to fall back into Pirin, Macedonia, which both then and now is a geographical region in the southwest corner of Bulgaria. And this brings me to a very important point about the geographical politics of the region at this time. I keep saying Vardar Macedonia and Pirin Macedonia because I'm trying to demonstrate to you that at this time there was no Macedonia. It was just split up between Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, and Greece. As a result of this fact, there also wasn't really much of a Macedonian national identity at this time. The region hadn't really had their own independent state since they were conquered by the Romans in 168 BC. As a result, the IMRO were really the only ones looking to make a Macedonian state, and they were absolutely tanking their PR by this little civil war that they were undertaking. Speaking of the civil war, for much of the late 1920s and early 1930s, Mihailov and his men used their home base in Pirin, Macedonia, as a launching pad for raids against both the Yugoslav government and his rival IMRO faction. And that was all fine and dandy until May 19th of 1934. On that day, there was a little bit of a coup d'etat in the Kingdom of Bulgaria, led by a faction of the Bulgarian military called the Zvino. Normally, your standard run-of-the-mill political coup wouldn't mean much to a rogue revolutionary terrorist group like the IMRO, but the Zvino happened to be the one part of the Bulgarian military that was allied with the older IMRO faction. This now meant that the older IMRO faction was allied with both the governments of the Kingdom of Yugoslavia and the Kingdom of Bulgaria, effectively sandwiching and trapping Mihailov's younger faction in hostile territory at this time. And they would have done well to walk on eggshells in order to keep the eye of the Bulgarian government off of them. Unfortunately for Mihailov, it seems that eggshell walking was not a part of his political creed, because on October 9th of 1934, he allied with Ante Pavlich, who was the founder of that Croatian Ustashi movement I had mentioned earlier, and they traveled to Marseille in France, where they assassinated the king of Yugoslavia. The IMRO civil war had now led to the death of a king. Not only that, but Mihailov and Pavlich had killed the French foreign minister Louis Barteau alongside the king on French soil. This assassination was incredibly high profile, and it drew the ire of both Eastern and Western Europe, putting a massive target on Mihailov's back. Thus, the Bulgarian military outright attacked the IMRO and forced Mihailov into exile in Turkey. While in exile, he was dealt nine life sentences and three death sentences by the Bulgarian government should he ever return to the country. I'm not really sure how they could possibly carry out both of those things, but they dealt them anyway. Mihailov ordered the IMRO to stand down and just let the Bulgarian government do what they needed to do. And so, save for a few staunch supporters, the IMRO was effectively dissolved. During his exile, Mihailov bounced around from Turkey to Poland and then to Hungary, and then he finally settled in Zagreb sometime in the early 1940s. That's right, it's the early 1940s, which means World War II is in full swing, and Zagreb is the capital of the Nazi puppet state of the independent state of Croatia. 
independent, not really. But here we're going to pause Mihailov's story and just provide a bit of worldwide political context for the rest of our tale. Up until 1941, the Kingdom of Bulgaria had been a neutral nation in World War II, but in 1941, they finally joined the Axis powers. On April 6th of that year, Germany, Italy, and Hungary invaded both Yugoslavia and Greece, but Bulgaria, which was the only Axis power to border both of those countries, did not join them initially. Within 11 days, Yugoslavia surrendered and was thus dismantled by the occupying Axis powers, and this allowed Bulgaria to feel a little bit more comfortable, and they sprung into action against Greece on April 20th. Ten days later, on April 30th, Greece surrendered and was thus occupied by Germany, Italy, and Bulgaria, who took eastern Macedonia and Thrace, which, if you can picture modern-day Greece, is basically just the northeast corner of the country. This was a big deal for Bulgaria because it gave them access to the Aegean Sea, which would allow them to project their military and economic power into the greater Mediterranean region. It seems that Bulgaria really was excited about this because on May 14th, they actually annexed these territories, making them an official part of Bulgaria, which was unlike the other Axis powers who simply used military occupation tactics. These regions are largely Macedonian today, but as I said before, a unified Macedonian identity didn't yet exist at this time, so the Bulgarians were seen actually more like liberators than they were conquerors. But the other Axis powers, and Germany specifically, didn't really agree with Bulgaria's Greek annexations, so they allowed them very little real political autonomy in the region. So in May of 1941, the political map of the Balkans looked something like this. Yugoslavia was gone for the moment, Greece was in shambles, and Bulgaria was just a little bit bigger than it had been before, and they owned pretty much all of what we would today call Macedonia. And that was the world that our friend Mihailov lived in when, in August 1943, Hitler himself invited him to Germany. At this meeting, he met with both the Fuhrer himself and Heinrich Himmler, who was the leader of Hitler's SS, or Secret Police Division, and they discussed the creation of a possible Macedonian independent state. The idea was that this so-called independent state of Macedonia would function in much the same way as the independent state of Croatia did, in that it was really just a Nazi puppet state and would bend to their whims. But nominally, it would be independent. Mihailov was granted permission by the Nazis to create three divisions of Macedonian men armed with German weapons and money, but they would be under the command of the SS, which was actually a good thing for Mihailov because the SS was very effective leadership. Hitler had already met with Boris III, who was the Tsar of Bulgaria, and gotten the Tsar's approval for the plans. Simultaneously, the SS was meeting with the remnants of the IMRO in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria, in order to discuss pretty much the exact same plan. Apparently, the Nazis weren't in too much of a rush, though, because it took more than a full year for them to actually start implementing the plan. But on September 2nd, 1944, the plan was put into action, and Bulgaria withdrew her forces from Macedonia 
in order to allow for the Macedonian state's new army to take over. The next day, the Nazis flew Mihailov from his home in Zagreb to Sofia so that he may actually take part in the creation of said state. After Mihailov arrived, on September 5th, 1944, specifically at 1.07 a.m. local time, by the way, Hitler ordered the establishment of a quote-unquote independent Macedonian state. But the world had other plans, or more specifically, the Russians had other plans, because on that day they declared war on Bulgaria. Thus, that night, Mihailov was hurriedly transported from Sofia to Skopje, which was to be the capital city of the new Macedonian state, and is actually the capital of modern Macedonia today. Upon arrival, they met with Hristo Tartashev, who was actually one of the founders of the IMRO, and they offered him the position of president of the new state. They also began negotiations with the Macedonian Partisans. These Macedonian Partisans were a communist anti-fascist army that was looking to set up their own Macedonian state, although this one would be under communist ideals, not fascist ones, which was in direct opposition to Mihailov's plans. By talking to the communists, they were looking to garner up support for the new state, as well as heal political divisions between ethnic Macedonians, but as you can imagine, these talks between basically Nazis and communists ended up failing. But Hitler was growing impatient. On September 6th, 1944, at 2 a.m. local time, I love that we have the specific times for these things, he repeated his order, and later that day, Mihailov refused. He had been largely unable to find support for this little project because, again, there wasn't much of a unified Macedonian identity at this time, and so the project was a bust. Now that they would be unable to project power as efficiently in the region, the Nazis retreated from Greece the same day in order to consolidate their forces in the face of a massive incoming Soviet counteroffensive. Two days later, on September 8, 1944, the Nazis closed their consulate in Skopje and transported Mihailov out of the city. However, staunch IMRO remnants in the area declared the independent state of Macedonia anyway. Things immediately got off to a rough start for the independent state of Macedonia because on the same day that they had been declared, Bulgaria switched sides and allied themselves with the USSR which meant they were now hostile to any fascist remnants in the area. Despite this, the independent state attempted to form a government under the command of IMRO members who acted simultaneously as a police force. But now that the Nazis had left the region and they could not control it, they did not support the independent state of Macedonia, even though it had really been their idea to begin with. The independent state was thus without any international support, without an army, and without any real government, so it wasn't hard for the new pro-Soviet Bulgarian government to ally with Yugoslavian communist partisans and establish military and political control of the ISM region by mid-October. The ISM is just my little shorthand for independent state of Macedonia, by the way. Now that there were both Yugoslavian communists and Bulgarian communists at play, the two sides managed to come to a deal and the Bulgarians left the Macedonian region to the newly formed Democratic Federal Yugoslavia, which was a state under one-party communist rule, 
meaning that the ISM was a fascist breakaway state within the borders of a wartime communist state surrounded by other wartime communist states. Now, fascism and communism mix like oil and water. They just do not mesh well together at all. And so the ISM movement fizzled out pretty much entirely by November 13th of 1944. And that was it for the independent state of Macedonia. In two months and five days, they had barely managed to even exist, let alone get anything real done. But they had attempted to exist all the same. Before we talk about why this country was forgotten, though, I want to mention our friend Ivan Mihailov one more time. He actually remained politically active in Bulgaria until his death in 1990 at the age of 94. He even has a small statue dedicated to him in Sofia to this day. And I think it's ironic that, despite the fact he was pretty much the main character of this episode, he had very little to do with the actual creation of at least the attempted independent state of Macedonia. He wasn't even in the country for it. And that actually brings me to why this land has probably been forgotten. Most of the episodes of this show so far have covered the brief histories of states that tried to establish themselves in civil wars, but ultimately ended up failing. But I think in the independent state of Macedonia, we have a unique example of a state that really just didn't exist in any way at all. At the end of the day, all we really had in the independent state of Macedonia was a group of men trying to take advantage of political confusion in the area at the time that never managed to define borders, they never managed to set up a government that was effective in any way, and they never even went out with a bang, they just sort of fizzled out under communist rule. You may have noticed as well that the only dates I mentioned in reference to the ISM were the foundation date and the date that we know that they were completely snuffed out by. That is because there were no events recorded to even have dates, so it was really all I can provide. But even though you could definitely make the claim that the independent state of Macedonia never existed in any real way to begin with, I think it's definitely a piece of history that's worth learning about because, as we now know, Macedonia does eventually end up with its independence, but I think that its early attempts to do so are definitely interesting. But before you leave me today, I just want to say, if you like the content that I put out, feel free to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. On both of those, I am at Forgot10Lands, that's the word forgot, and then the number 10, and then lands. I couldn't get the word forgotten lands on Twitter. I am going to start posting at least somewhat regularly to both of those platforms as of today, and I hope that we can start to build a little community for the HFL podcast. Thank you all for listening, and I hope to see you again next week.